Hey, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. Well, this morning, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, If you get into this first verse of chapter 7, You'll see in your Bibles, like, there's a a large, you know, obviously, number seven. And then you'll see right below it, if if your Bible divides up this way, you'll see that either there's a subheading in your Bible or there's a darker um, number two, you know, for the second verse. So the darker ones are indicating that there's a portion that's kind of leading into maybe a continued thought, but a different emphasis that maybe you'll notice. Uh, The only reason I point this out is because... Uh, really, verse 11 through 7, verse 1, is really a thought that Paul was making. And so we kind of stopped at the end of chapter 6, not really reading that last verse. So we kind of got to grab our thoughts back just for a second, because it was a couple of weeks ago when we covered this portion. Get our thoughts back so we can stay on track with what Paul is really trying to indicate. And he, he was really talking about not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And, you know, we can get into a legalistic concept of this, or we can understand the Father's heart. And I would really want to emphasize more the Father's heart in it, because God's really uh, a dad to us. He's our Heavenly Father, and He's got an intent. And so we read verse 1, and then we'll back up uh, just a little bit and talk about this. In verse 1 it says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved... Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So, what promises is he talking about? Well, and you back up, you realize that he's talking about really being, being separate in the sense of coming out from among a worldly mindset, for example, and coming into a God-centered mindset, a biblical perspective in our views and our vantage of our lives and how we live. And so he had said, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Not, it's because it's, it's in your best interest. It's in my best interest. It's what's going to benefit you. It's what's going to benefit me as a believer. It's not just this rule book of do's and don'ts so that we're trying to just follow that, but it's more the heart of a dad. I remember sometimes when my dad would come home and we'd have been out running around playing all day and and my dad would come home from work and he'd say, you know, let's go get something to eat. Let's go out to dinner. But, you know, he'd say, Jimmy, you got to go get cleaned up. You've got to go take a shower. You've got to get clean because I was a regular filthy boy, you know, running around getting, rolling in the mud and carrying on. I was always building forts or something and, and doing all this stuff. So I was always getting dirty. But my dad wanted to take us out to dinner. He wanted to go do something fun and go take us and do something. And he'd say, hey, go get cleaned up, you know, so that we can go. Because he doesn't want to take me in. Now, we had a camping experience one time with uh, our sons, and uh, we had a skunk invasion that occurred in our campsite the night prior. And uh, it really seems humorous now. That night it was not humorous. Our poor golden retriever got sprayed. It was just, it was, it was a horrible experience, really. And I really do believe, it, 
I, double, I tried it myself and found that the tomato juice actually does work. It neutralizes the odor quite, quite well, seemingly to us. Of course, our nostrils are singed and we're, we're, you know, never to be the same. We've had a lot of bizarre skunk experiences and we'll talk about that another time. But this, this we'll just stay with this one. But uh, so we go in and we finally get up in the morning and we're, we're, we're cleaned up, we think. We go into this little restaurant and all of a sudden, you know, we start noticing all of a sudden the restaurant's really pretty much clearing out. We're about the only ones left in there. We realize, oh my gosh. We stunk it up, skunked it up, you know. I mean, we just didn't even realize that. Well, our Heavenly Father doesn't want us going through life stinking it up, basically, you know. And so this is, this is his heart, is in sharing with us, come out from among them. Don't live like everybody else lives. The way everybody else lives and makes their choices and the decisions aren't the way I want you to live because I want to take you out. I want to do things for you. I want to do things with you. And I want to bless and care for you in a specific way. And he wants us to be able to allow him to clean us up and for us to have the intent to be separate and allow these areas in our lives to be cleaned up and changed. So that's really the heart. That's the context of what Paul is driving at here as a body of believers. Hey, we're to live a little bit differently as individuals and as a group. He says, therefore, having these promises, those promises come out from among them and be separate. Isaiah, he's quoting Isaiah. What's interesting to me, sidebar note, Uh, It's interesting that as he quotes Isaiah, you'll go back and read Isaiah and you'll notice that is not really word for word. If you ever, you know, hey, well, that's not exactly what it says. I'm I'm, uh, one who would do this from time to time and be guilty of this exact same thing where really I think it's important, though, when we notice here as Paul, the apostle, very intelligent, very capable fellow, but he is grasped the intent. He has gotten the, the idea and the context, and he's sharing this thought in that vantage point. So he's saying here in this, having these promises, even though he doesn't give this exact word-for-word quote, he doesn't miss the concept. I think that's so important for us. Sometimes we get so hung up on, oh, well, I've got to say the quote exactly the right way or else somehow it's null and void. No, get the content, get that, that uh, concept really embedded in your heart because that's really what's going to matter. The concept of we could go off and describe exactly you know, what agape love, we can use the, you know, the, the Greek definition and, and break it all down and say what mood and tense it was in and all this stuff and say all that. Or we could really try to understand. I love what Vines does with that. Vines says in his expository dictionary of New Testament words, he says that love, agape love, he says the best definition for it, it is best described by the actions that it prompts or promotes. Man, that makes sense to a guy like me. You know, not just all this big, fanciful definitions of all this stuff, but what is the concept? What am I supposed to grasp? How do I apply that? So when you're reading devotionally, this can really help you. Read and try and get the concept. What is it that God's wanting to import into your life so that you might walk and have a more full experience in your journey? And remember, to share the concept 
if you can share the actual, you know, quote or give the idea. I love that. Here's Paul quoting something, but not verbatim. He's quoting the concept. This is the key. Paul had a good, now remember, he's sending a letter, which we have now, and it's part of the canonized scripture, okay? Now, he's writing that. He's giving the intent, but where did he get that from? Only all he had was the Old Testament. But he had a good working knowledge of the word. That's what you need. That's what I need. We need a good working knowledge of the word. Not just the head knowledge. Not just the information. But man, a good working knowledge of it. So that's what Paul is sharing here. And he says, with those promises, with that intent that he shared and the concept that he shared about the father loving us and wanting us and calls us as sons and daughters. And he says, that's the heart of dad. He wants to bless us. Let us cleanse ourselves. So now we get that idea. Go take a shower type thing. Let us cleanse ourselves. Because we think, well, how do we cleanse ourselves? And you go into the Psalms and you read, a young man is going to cleanse his heart by, by tucking away the word of God in our hearts. You know that we might not sin against you. In Ephesians, Paul uses a term, he says, with the washing of the water of the word which cleanses our hearts. So there is this thing that happens, and I encourage this also in your devotional reading. Even if you don't understand perfectly the concept, keep reading. It'll unfold in time. File that one away for waiting for further information. My file's exhaustive, believe me. But there's something special that happens in our gatherings like this. There's something special that happens for you and me in our individual lives as we just open our Bibles and read. There's a washing of the water of the word. There's a cleansing that takes place in our hearts and our lives. And that's important for us. That's why I think it's important for us to spend time in God's word, even as a body of believers and as individual believers, that there's this washing. Something in the spirit realm is taking place. Let us cleanse ourselves. So there is some responsibility for you and I to take a hold of, yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we're washed and cleansed of our adiamic sin. Yes, agreed. But we know that, as J. Vernon McGee used to say, y'all get dirty out there, you know. He used to say that all the time, you know, you get dirty. In this world, you know, riding the Bible bus, you remember. You know, that was his uh, thing in, in his studies on the air for years. You know, you get on the Bible bus, you ride. But he knows, man, you get out among the, the life and you, you get dirty a little bit. Man, I love this. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So that washing of the word. Now, if we don't get moving, we're not going to make it very far. So we got to leave that thought and let's keep going. Verse 2. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. Remember, he's written this original communication in, in, uh, in the whole first letter that he wrote that was hard to kind of maybe write and probably hard to receive. You know, it was a communication that was difficult. First Corinthians is what's known as a corrective letter. It was a letter writing, wanting to convey some things that, that needed to get adjusted and fixed. And I know for all of us, it's, it's never easy communicating that kind of thing. But again, what is the heart of this? Paul was saying he has a paternal heart for them. 
He led them to the Lord. He was a shepherd to them. He was an apostle to them. He had a heart for them. And he's saying, just as dad has that heart in our heavenly father, he goes, I share that heart. Let's read on. He says, open your hearts to us. Remember, he says, hey, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't open your hearts to unbelievers in that way. You'll probably get violated. Don't necessarily do that. But he says, open your hearts to us. Have discernment. Understand that there's a giving and receiving amongst the body of Christ that's healthy in our communication. But we want to be guarded. What is it that we take in and we import? There's so much stuff out there from the world that gets transported into our hearts, and it has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with biblical principles or thoughts or anything. And that's why we got to get the word in there, washing that stuff out, so that then as we gather together and we go through it, we're seeing it in God's heart, his view, his vantage point. He wants to bless. He wants to care for us. We have wronged no one in verse 2. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. And you remember there were those that were saying that was what was going on. I do not say this to condemn For I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. He says, man, we're connected. We're knit together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. So we got near you guys, and this is what was going on. We, we were just kind of in disarray in a sense, man. It was, we were in a real struggle. He says, nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. He says, we got there, and we had sent Titus. Remember, Titus was the one that he had given the first letter to. Titus was a young guy that was uh, traveling with him, one of his protégés. And he says, Titus, he, here's this letter. You've got to get this into the Corinthians' hands. Stay there, find out, let me know how it goes. Let me know how they receive what I've I've shared with you. Now he says, man, we were comforted by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, it was great to see Titus. We were glad that he was still alive, that you didn't kill him. So he was good for that. Not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. He says, man, Titus brought back the information, the good news, the good word of, man, everything's okay. The Corinthians in general received the letter from their hearts. They responded favorably to what needed to be adjusted and done. This is what he's coming. Not only are they excited to see Titus, but the information he's saying, they're comforted. Now, Who was Titus? Titus was, again, one of his young guys that he was discipling and training. And he didn't say, oh, great, well, there's Titus. You know, sometimes be aware that when you're interacting with each other, God might be moving in your life, might be also moving in someone else's life to speak something good into your heart, something that might be comforting. Sometimes we think, oh, well, gosh, you could have sent somebody else to me, you know, Paul could have been thinking, well, why didn't you send somebody else, God, to bring comfort when I've been so discouraged? You and I can feel that way sometimes, but I love the fact that it was Titus that was there. Titus went with the letter, Titus came back, and Titus was the one that brought comfort. 
you know, look to one another in the Lord, letting God move in and through your life, that it doesn't have to be somebody, you know, super unique and special, although we all are, I know that, but whatever you've put out there in your mind, that God will move through the anybody's and everybody's to bring that kind of comfort that we need sometimes. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, Paul says, you remember, difficult letter that he had written, knowing full well as he's writing this, this is going to sting. This is going to be painful. This is going to be hard for them to receive. I'm putting myself in a vulnerable place by communicating like this. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. He says, I was concerned about how you would receive this. After I had sent it, I even had some slight reservation. Gosh, I hope I said it the way that, that, that they're going to respond favorably. Anytime you have these kind of corrective communications that you're involved in any of that process ever, there's always those times where you wonder, gosh, I hope that that got communicated the way I really wanted it to be communicated. I hope that was received in the light of my heart and the intent. And sometimes it's just a lot of prayer, you know, at those times. Praying, God, I hope that's being received with the heart and the intent that I, I, I mean for that to be sent, that my desire would be that the Lord would move through it. And he says, man, I, even if you did get, get made sorry by it, even though you, I may have regretted, I don't really regret sending it, but I kind of had some reservation about it is what he's saying. He's talking about his own consternation internally. And he says, I, for I perceive in the middle of verse eight that the same letter made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer the loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. Now, he's talking about what a godly sorrow develops. What diligence it produced in you. They became very diligent to make the adjustments, to do what needed to be done. They were very diligent about it. They were, they were grieved that Paul had to communicate that. It stung a little bit, but they realized, man, Paul's right. We got to do something about this. We got to get this right. They were diligent. It produced diligence. Clearing, they, what clearing of yourselves. Man, it, it was a washing. It, 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 it vindicated in that sense. What indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. He says, in the end, You've, you've, you've received it, you've made the adjustments, you've done what you needed to do, and you move forward in the Lord. That's, that's basically what Paul's saying. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong. 
So it's not just the situation specifically that he was writing, that it was just directed only at them. Not was it just those who experienced uh, difficulty because of the wrong that the others were doing. He says, I wasn't writing specifically to them either. I was writing to the whole group, but what was his intent? If you read this last little portion of what his intent was in verse 12, he says, but that you, our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Again, would you, when you read your Bible, when you're reading your devotions, when you're gathering together as like we are now and we're reading together, would we know Would we receive it in our hearts that we have a loving Father that's wanting to give us instruction from his heart, importing that into our lives, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. So he's saying that you might understand the heart that dad loves you. And even for Paul, he's saying that, man, you would know that my heart for you is for God's best for you. Man, that is so important, so significant. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, just for a moment. If you cannot locate it quickly, that's okay. I'll still read it. The latter part of chapter 13, verse 17, says, Obey those, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Had the Corinthians had a different response it would have brought extensive grief to the heart of Paul the Apostle as an overseer of the Corinthian souls. It would have grieved him because he would have communicated that and they would have understood it with the wrong heart or the wrong intent and it would have bummed him out and been grievous to him. But now that they responded favorably, he can have joy. And that joy that's there in his life from them responding in a positive way, is also wonderful in that it is profitable for them. Them responding, when you and I respond to the correction of God and God's word, when we respond to that, when we confess, because confession isn't just saying, I know about that, or, or confession is agreeing with God's word. That's what confession is saying. God, you're right, I'm not. That's confession. And and that ends up not only bringing joy, but it also is profitable to you and I. Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for tuning in today and listening to the message. I know that God is doing a work in your life. I know that as you hear his word, he's doing something in your heart, and he wants to begin that good work in your life, as he's done in many of our lives, and he wants to forgive you of your sin. Maybe some of you are just carrying that weight of sin, and you just want to be forgiven. Well, God wants to forgive you. 
It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. God loves you. He wants to forgive you of all your sin. All you have to do is pray this simple prayer of faith and begin this new journey with Jesus. Again, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you, and God will forgive you. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Jesus, I want to ask that you would forgive me of my sin. You know exactly where I've been and what's been going on in my life, and I want to begin a new life in you. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior, and that I would begin this new journey with you. I ask that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I might live a life that would please you and bring you glory. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. And if you're social media savvy, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash calvarychapelkc. Also, Living Fountains podcasts are available in the iTunes store now, and you can download them at no cost. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com, or you can simply contact the church office at 913-681-1635. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains.